All right, we're in a series. You can't answer unless you watched online or you were here last week. So don't try. I know, I bet I can guess. I don't want guesses. All right, this is called Ugly PowerPoints. It's not electronic, it's just building. Okay, that door, that's a timeline of history, the kingdom of God. That door and on the other side of the door represent hands. Represented what? Yes, sir. Eternity past forever. So looking before the before the before, before there was anything, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They made a plan. They decided that we're going to create. Okay? Then comes the bell. What's the bell? Let me see. What's the bell? Ah, ah. What's the bell? Creation. So God goes public. We found that Jesus was with the Father in eternity. He was with the Father in the plan. He was there in creation. We're going to see that this morning. Okay, then the timeline, and no, it doesn't quite work dimensionally, so get over that. I could move the pulpit, but we're going to come up to here, and what is this representing? Okay, what do you say? What is it? That's right. In fact, I thought, I forgot I said that. Christmas is the answer I was looking for, but manger will do. I said manger, and she got it in the notes. You said that. So this is the manger. This is Jesus before Christmas. Back through those doors. He didn't become somebody at Christmas. He already was. And all that he was, he brought into who he was, but he became a man. He took something he'd never had, a human body. Then, obviously, if you couldn't answer the cross, so in between Christmas and the cross is the life of Christ, and then Christ died on the cross. Now, the other side of the door, timeline should be expanded, but on the other side of the door is what? Let me see a hand. Other side of the door, Tim, our glory, so it, it's eternal future, okay? So there's begin, no, no time busts out the doors. New heavens, new earth, resurrection, Christ returns. Now, when will that be? I, I, I don't know. All I want to focus on, what makes that important, is knowing who came to earth at Christmas. And to fully know who came to earth at Christmas, you've got to understand Christ before Christmas. So we're going to go to the book of Genesis. You've got to listen fast because we're going to cover some ground. So stay with me. I've got like a long introduction to get where I want to get to, but I want to cover the, the that's starting in Genesis 1:26. God, this is back eternity past. Okay. Making a plan. God makes plans or decrees, if you will, Verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us. Now you see the plurality. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. One God, all equal in essence, but distinct as persons. Father, Son. You say, wow, Jamie, that's, that's mind-boggling. Yes, it is. It inspires faith and worship. I don't understand because I'm smart enough. I understand because I believe. Amen? It's not about intelligence. Intelligence, you can talk yourself out of a lot of stuff. Let us make man in our image. Only not the, not the dogs and cats, not the elephants and the giraffes, not the, the duck-billed platypuses, not the ostrich. None of those were made in his image. Only thing in his image. Not even the angels. They're made by God to reflect his glory. But only man, Adam and Eve, man and woman, are made in his image and likeness, 
He said, let them rule. Them. Them. Them is man and woman. Let's go to the beginning to find our theology. Not after sin and the fall, which many churches build their theology of women based on the sin in the garden. No, let's base it on how God originally intended it to be. It wasn't man ruling over a woman. It was man and woman ruling as king and queen. God said, put them over all the fish, the air. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then he blessed them, told them to be multiplied uh, and replenish the earth. So it takes a man and a woman to reflect the fullness of who God is. A man is not enough. It takes a woman and a man to fully reflect the image of God. Now, we're going to jump on down in chapter 2. He kind of unpacks creation in a fuller extent as Moses writes this. And so it says in verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, The Lord God formed the man. Now, up to this point, everything was God said, let there be light. God said, which we know from our message last week, which you can watch online in the archives, it was Jesus, the Word of God, that created everything that was made. It was made through the Word, through Jesus, God said. Now, God's moving into the potter, and he's not saying, he's making. So chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. When that happened, you think of Christ standing there, not as a human, but in the form of a human. And as, if you, if you fast-forwarded from the bell past the cross, right on the other side, after Christ was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples in the upper room, showed him his scars and his side and his hands. And what did he do? He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Saying Jesus... This is why you go back and forth. It's like boomerang Bible reading. You go from the story in the upper room, breathing, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He makes man, and there's Jesus. This isn't giant Jesus blowing from heaven. This is Jesus standing face to face with Adam that reflects him. He becomes a living being. This is the same Christ that came to the manger, is breathing on Adam in creation. Now, verse 8, then the Lord God planted a garden. Now, don't think of a backyard garden. Think of giant redwood forest and the most ornate palaces you've ever been to. Built more house on steroids. Uh, wherever you, it's this is the creator gardening. Again, fast forward the tape. Go to, after the cross resurrection, Jesus appears to Mary. She's weeping. She's crying. She looks up and says, Where, where'd you put him? She thought he was a gardener. I find it ironic that Jesus rose from the dead and looked like a gardener. He could have had a hoe in one hand and clippers in the other. That's the, this is what you'll see in this. The same way Jesus shows up, he's in the garden. He takes Adam. In fact, it says he brings him. Look at verse, uh, they talks about the rivers in the garden and all the trees and, and the garden. And verse uh, 15, it said the Lord God took the man, in other words, by the hand, and he 
put him in the Garden of Eden and said, you got to get a job. Go to work. Now, it's not work with a curse. Then work becomes depleted and the ground resists us and life resists us because of sin, but that's not yet. But can you imagine Jesus walking like he did with Job when he appears to Job and walks him through creation? Here's Jesus. Oh, check that out. Oh, check this out. Oh, my gosh. This is and, and he just he's walking with him into the paradise that he's prepared for him. What does that tell you? Think about the nature of God reflected in this, 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 this appearing in this humble way as a, as a tour guide, as a gardener. I can imagine Jesus stopping and just giving some lessons on now this particular uh, orchid, you got to deal with it this way. You can't, you can't overwater it. Don't overwater it because it'll be, you'll ruin it. You'll just ruin it. You know, so not that I know anything about orchids. We have a graveyard of orchids in our We've killed a many. And so they see us, no, no, don't pick us. Don't pick us. That one's so pretty. Let's kill it. Anyway, <laughs> plants fear our home. When I plant something in my yard, I say, you better be tough because you ain't going to get a lot of attention, and you better be able to stand on your own two feet. If you're a big baby, need a lot of attention, you're going to die. So God's a gardener. Well, I love that. He takes Adam, breaks him, brings him in the garden, and, and, and verse 15 tells him there's one thing, one tree, do not eat it. Only rule, one rule. Don't touch that tree, don't eat it. And verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable. Don't think of helper as in a servant girl. Honey, would you make me a Sammy? I'll never forget the time I said that to my wife. And she said, get up and make your own. Wow. She's not my mother. My mother always made me a Sammy when I needed one. Now I do it this way. Honey, nobody can make a Sammy like you. If I try and I do, you'll go make one for yourself and it'll make mine look pitiful. And I'll just be looking at yours wishing I had a Sammy like that. Okay, I'll make you a Sammy. God says it's not good to be alone. Now, you think, here he's standing with Christ Jesus, having a living relationship with God that made him. And yet God says you need something else. You need human. There's a, someone has said there's a, there's a void inside of you that it takes another human to fill. We always think it's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus, all I need is my Bible. Me and Jesus, I don't need a church, I don't need Christians, I don't need small group, I don't need a men's retreat. Just me and Jesus. Well, Jesus said, you were made for community. You have a hole inside of you. Mother Teresa said it this way. She said, loneliness is the leprosy of this modern world. Loneliness. And, and we're the most hooked up, Facebook, interactive. I've got 500 friends. You're only a friend if they visit you when you're sick or they contact you when you're sick. They're only a friend if they come to you. That's like the TV preachers of today. They're great. They're wonderful. Ain't none of them going to do your funeral. I like pastor said at the retreat, he said, T.D. Jakes ain't going to come do your funeral. He's a great preacher, but he ain't your pastor. 
Stephen Furtick's not going to go to the hospital and visit you. He can wear some tight jeans and look mighty sharp. <laughs> but he don't going to know that you're sick. He's not going to try to get you to go to the men's retreat. He just didn't. So they may be all that and a bag of chips, but God says you need community. You need real people. And we, if you're not careful, you'll let emojis take the place of true emotions. And, and be honest to yourself here. Don't raise a hand. How many of you have sent a laughing face with tears and you never even smiled? Think about it. It felt a lot like I laughed. I said I laughed. It's like people that go, wow, that was really funny. <laughs> Notify your face. Why did you laugh? It's not funny because you said it's funny. It's funny if you laugh. Anyway, God says it's not good. Adam, I don't like you being alone. I'm going to make something perfect for you. You're going to be perfect for her. And God, let's jump on down in chapter 2. And verse, uh, he makes all the animals go past uh, Adam. He names them all. It's amazing. In verse uh, 20, uh, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he's sleeping, Christ reached, I'm adding this, Christ took one of his ribs, reached in him. How did he do that? Because he's Jesus. Before Christmas, he's healing and doing surgery. He's Dr. Jesus. When he came to earth and he healed people, it's because he's Dr. Jesus. He reached in and you say, Jamie, do you really believe this happens? I mean, come on. I 100% believe it happened. You know what's cool, ladies? He didn't make you out of dust. Men are made out of dust, clay. You're refined dust. Your dust has been turned into a rib. And so it's got a whole nother, it's been What's that called uh, when you're cooking uh, re uh, reduction? You, you, the dust has been reduced. The, the grimy stuff, the, gr the, the, the gritty stuff, that's all in the man. You get refined dust. You're, 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 you're made, and, and just think of Jesus. Well, how does he know about women? Because he made them. He designed you. He fashioned you. Uses a whole other word that's not been used up to this point. For he built the woman. That's what the word, like building a city. He designed her. He built her. And then what does it say he did in verse 22? I love this. Just think of, think of this, this newly created. What age does he make them? I don't know. They're old enough to have children. But, how, you know, that's like how old did he make the first tree? I'm not going to go down that road, but these people with the dating of things, how old did he make the rocks? Well, they were formed over billions of years. You know, well, okay, maybe. But God made everything that there is. He could have just said, I'm going to make that rock look like it's 100 billion years old. I don't know. Just saying. God's not limited. So he, he doesn't say, okay, there's, see that guy over there in the garden? Acting like he doesn't know what he's doing. He feeling kind of sad. He doesn't know the feeling, but it's loneliness. And we're going to go, you're going to be his partner. You're going to be his best friend. You're going to complete him. And she said, well, I don't know. He, he's so strong looking. And, and can you imagine the conversation Jesus had giving her some fatherly as the father? Remember, Jesus came to reveal the father. He walks with her as a father. I've had the joy of walking my daughters down the aisle to give them away. I decided early on I'm not going to do their weddings 
because I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings. I just want to be dad. So I had one line when I walked them down. One line. Not a whole marriage ceremony. One line. Her mother and I. Who gives this woman to be joined to the man? I could quote the whole wedding service to you. I know every part of it. I've memorized it. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. But this is my daughter, and I'm giving her away to a man. <laughs> that I'd grown to hate all men. I just had. My favorite line was looking at him going, you know what, I've lived a long, full life. I know Jesus. I'm not afraid to die, and I'm not afraid of jail. Dead serious. 100% true. Bible. That's my job. I gave him away. I flubbed the line. I'm with my dad. I'm weeping, and it's just like it was a train wreck. Jesus comes. This is his daughter. He's about to give to this man. Think of it, man. Those you married, you married God's daughter. That's serious stuff. There's times I've not treated God's daughter the way I'm supposed to have, the way every father wanted his daughter to be treated. And God dealt with me seriously. That's my daughter. God brought, this is Jesus before Christmas. He's escorting Eve as a father. He, he does the first wedding ceremony. Therefore shall a man, how does he know him? Because he's Jesus. So they're married, they're naked, they're not ashamed. Chapter 3 happens. If you take chapter 3 out of the Bible, of Genesis, the Bible makes no sense. History makes no sense. If you skip from the end of chapter 2 where they're naked, not ashamed. I mean, they're just enjoying each other. The way they were created. They're enjoying God. He visits them on a regular basis. Walks with them in the garden. Talks with them. That's why they were made. Chapter 3, if you take it out and go right to 4, which we'll deal with next week, you got Cain taking a knife and gutting his brother and slitting his throat. From naked and not ashamed to blood-soaked ground and a buried dead body. You can't explain it without chapter 3. And that's where the world loses its mind when some kind of, whether it's a school shooting or, so, or what's going on in the Middle East. And what's going on in the Middle East is answered from chapter 3, which the book of Job, when we studied it, chapters 1 and 2, gives us a behind the look, a behind the behind. When you go back before creation, you got Satan sometime back in there became a fallen angel. And he's, he's obviously made some deal with God because God led him in the garden. He took the hedge down. You learn that from the book of Job. So Satan gets access to use a creature that probably had legs before sin, the serpent. Probably was the, one of the most ornate, beautiful creatures God made. Somehow the enemy, Satan, inhabited that creature, enabled it to speak, seduced Eve, lied to Eve, made Eve doubt the goodness of God. God doesn't want you to eat of all of these trees. No, God said one tree. 
He spins things. She, 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 he says, oh, God just kind of doesn't. He doesn't want you to be like him. And, and he lies and he deceives and Eve takes the fruit and sins. It's not about the fruit being poisonous. It's the disobedience that's poisonous. So Eve takes the fruit and eats it. And then Adam takes the fruit and eats it. And they sin. Everything from then on has changed. You want to know why our world is so broken today? Why they can't just be a man and a woman in marriage? Because sin entered the world. And now humans decide they want to live however they want to live. And they want to live by what they feel is true or what their truth is. They're really smarter than God. And they know God kind of screwed up or the Bible's a mess. And we don't believe the Bible. Let's discredit the Bible. We believe what we feel. So if I feel I'm a woman but I'm really a man, then that's okay because I feel that. If I desire to be with the same sex... That's okay because I feel it. It's my truth. It's my identity. It's what I, and the problem with this is from, from any change from Adam and Eve, man and woman, when you go down the slope, which we're going down in our culture, I forgot to mention uh, the, there's a, a sign up, and I, I made a commitment that I would remind you. I'll, I'll do it. Don't let me forget at the end of service. About the, the flower. So we're going down this slope. I'll tell it right now. Get it off my mind. It's just, it's just a, a ballot. It's a, it's a, a petition to get on the Florida ballot. It's not a Republican-Democrat thing. It's just a petition to get on the Florida ballot a pro-life amendment. Because there's already one for the, uh, those that don't believe in pro-life. Speaking of going down the thing where you've got this broken culture we live in. And I found out something at this con- Now, I know I laugh at this because it's so bizarre, but it's prob- it's, I should have probably cried about it. It is so bizarre. Did you know that in Lee County, in our schools, in the bathrooms, they have cat litter boxes? Is that true in our county? I know it's true in other places. I've heard. Maybe wrong on it being in our county. It's coming. Let's blame Massachusetts. They're all yeah, so, so, I don't know that's for sure. God, it's true. And then you say, well, it's security cats. They feel comfort. No, it's for kids that think they're cats. They're fluffies, furries. Oh, get it right. Let's, that's LGBTQF, furries. There'll be more. They'll run out of alphabet. They're kids that want a potty in a litter box. That's when a parent steps up and says, no, stop it. You're a boy. You're not a cat. Throw the blankety-blank cat outfit. Burn it. Oh, no, I don't want to tell my child what. You better tell him or some demented person will tell him what they ought to be. Some internet persuader will tell him what they ought to be. What they ought to be is what God made them to be, and that's a good thing. God made you a woman. That's a good thing. You're a daughter of God. You can do anything a man can do, but you don't have to be a man to do it. You're a woman. Once you crack that door, which we have in our culture, it's going to come, I don't know about in my lifetime, 
But when, when, when others are leading this church in, in some years from now, it's going to be a backlash. You're going to have broken people walking going, my parents let me do the most bizarre. They let me change my sex at 12 when I was still picking my nose and eating my boogers. If you can't drive a car, you can't figure out what sex you are. Let me help you. Parents, you got to teach your boy he's a boy. He don't have an option. You got a wee-wee, you're a boy, you're going to man up. Send him to the men's retreat. We'll send him home a boy. Let me just help you. Now that I'm finished with my politically correct... Uh, I'm sure I'll be asked to be on the next woke show of, uh, but you know, it's just not, it's, 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 it's insane because in our wisdom, we've said we're smarter than God and sin has come in and polluted our minds. So if we trust our minds and our emotions, our feelings, we're going to be marrying dogs before it's done. You're going to have bestiality. They already do. You're going to have the most perverseness and it's all okay. I identify blah, blah, blah. No, let me help you. You can't find your identity without meeting your creator who made you, who designed you, who loves you, who cares about you. So Adam and Eve blow it. They sin. The first thing they do is they hide from God. I love verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, chapter uh, Genesis 3.8. This is after they sin. God's not stupid. This is Christ before Christmas walking in the human form. He's not a, he doesn't have flesh and blood, but he comes as a, as a human, as a man, as a father. And he walks in the garden like he's probably been doing. And it says in verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. Some people think it's because God's got these giant feet and he's just crushing the, it's like some monsters come. <laughs> He's coming, Godzilla. Now, that's how I would have been God. Dude, I would have walked in, kicked down the doors, put one foot on the back of the serpent, crushed his neck, thumped at him in the head. I made you. I'm God. You just messed up everything. I gave you one simple rule. Don't eat the tree. You did it. I'm ticked off. But he wasn't. He was brokenhearted, and he's, he's coming as Christ will come in the manger. You see the likeness of baby Jesus, how he came to earth in the coming to Adam. He doesn't scream for him. He doesn't kick down the, the, the trees. He doesn't bust in the door. He's singing. He's making some noise. Most commentators, well, they heard him walking. No, no. He's, he's in the garden. He's singing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine, plenty of rain. I made it all. This is the day I made. I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. But he knows in his heart. He's on a mission. He's a shepherd looking for his lost sheep. But he doesn't scream at him, he calls to him. He says, Adam, where are you? He, he, he's not stupid. He, just like in your life. He knows everything. Why would you hide something from him? I said to a guy one time, he had made a horrible choice, and I said, have you asked God to forgive me? And he said, no, no, I could, I could never do that. I, couldn't. I said, do you think he doesn't already know? 
I couldn't, I couldn't talk to him. Because the enemy uses shame, just like with Adam and Eve. Shame keeps more people from church than anything else out there. Why would I want to come and feel worse about myself? I already feel bad about myself. Churches tended in the past to try to shame people into walking with Jesus. Jesus isn't going to come slime and shame his children. He calls to them. He invites them. As he says in the New Testament, if anyone hears my voice, he called to Adam has a choice to respond or keep hiding behind the fig leaves. See, human nature always tries to cover over its own shame and sin and hide. And it never makes it go away. There's no salvation outside of the redemption that Christ is going to offer to Adam and Eve. So he confronts them and he finds out and, and they do the blame game. Adam blames God and his wife. The wife blames the serpent. The serpent's got no one to blame. And so they do the blame game. God gives them a promise before he gives them the punishment. I love this about our God. Chapter 3, verse 15, one of the most pivotal verses in the whole Bible. It says, this is Jesus talking to the devil. And he, but he's making a promise that includes humans, us. It's the first prophecy, the first promise. It's, it's basically the gospel in the Old Testament. I wrote my, the whole book on my ugly priest is filled with building on this verse. I did a, a chapter at the end. I, I spoke to the women's retreat a little bit on the daughters of Job. Job had a high view of women. And it's one of the biggest takeaways I have in that book. And his three daughters that he gets after he lost the other ones, they're prophetic pictures of what God's going to do with women in this day after Christ. And so God comes to this shamed, guilty Afraid of God and unholy. I fear God, but not in an unholy way. If you fear God in a way that makes you run from him, that's unholy. If you fear him in the sense that I want to let you down and I'm deeply sorry when I do, that's holy fear. That's reverence. God says, Jesus says, verse 15, I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman. Ladies, this is why throughout history, women have been oppressed, abused, hated, treated as property. It is because of the demonic hatred of women. Because here's why. Because you're going to be the instrument by which Christ comes to destroy the powers of darkness. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and and hers. Two different seeds. He, that's Jesus, you should write that in your Bible so you can come back to it. He, Jesus, this is Christ sealing the commitment he made last week. If you weren't here, I'm not going to try to cover it all, but when they created, they knew, they anticipated they're going to sin. We're going to need a plan. The plan's going to require a redeemer. It's going to require sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And he had his ear bored. It's an Old Testament analogy of a servant can leave the, the master after he served seven years, or he can say, I want to be a permanent servant because I love you. 
not out of force, not out of obligation. I volunteer. And you get your ear pierced. Fly to Texas Sunday after church, after I preach this. Monday, we go out to eat. I'm in this restaurant. I walk up and I see this kid with these two big giant hoops. And I freak out. And he's just kind of standing there for a minute. And I said, do you know what those mean? I gave him the whole sermon in 60 seconds. <laughs> His eyes got bigger and bigger. I said, do you know anything about the Bible? He said, listen to me. This, what those hoops represent is that Jesus said he'll come to earth and be a sacrifice and he had his ear pierced. Actually, he had his hands in a sign. I said, there's an Old Testament uh, 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 scripture that talks about a servant that doesn't want to leave and wants to be forever with the master out of love. And he said, they get their ear pierced. I go on, I preach the gospel to him and his eyes got bigger, 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 like they're going to pop out of his head. And then I realized, man, you could slow it down. You're giving him a download too, but more than the church can. So I finally just said, then he looks at me and he goes, I've never thought about him that way. And I just went off to my table and had some sushi. Can you imagine where his mind, I gave him the Exodus scripture and I gave him the Psalm 40 scripture where the ears are pierced and I gave him Jesus. Anyway, when Jesus gives this promise, this is him sealing the deal. There's no going back now. He put his name on the line. He put his word on the line. He put his promise on the line. When he says he will crush his head, but he'll also bruise his heel. He knew he's signing up for the cross again, which he signed up before creation. We learned that last week. This is the Redeemer giving the promise. It's easy to give someone else the promise, but when you, it's going to require you to give both your kidneys for that promise to get fulfilled, you're going to be careful giving that promise. It's going to cost more than both his kidneys. It could be both his kidneys, his heart, his lungs, his mind, his soul, his body, all in. To crush his head, I've got to be crushed on the cross. This is the promise. Then he goes on and gives consequences. He curses the devil. He curses the earth. He punishes the woman. He punishes the man. He does not curse Adam and Eve. He punishes them. But then he gives them redemption. I'm, I'm, I've said this three times now. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 8, God walking in the garden. Verse uh, uh, 15, chapter 3, 15, the promise. Now, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Adam, hearing that promise, even though they've got consequences, the earth, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. The earth's going to resist you. Uh, there's going to be this brokenness between man and woman. There's going to be this unholy competition to dominate each other. That's sin. It doesn't go away just because you got saved. You got to walk that out. When you get married, there's something in each of you that says, I'm going to dominate this person. Oh, you don't say it in that way. You just say, honey, would you get me a Sammy like my mother did? Isn't that your job, serve me? No. It's, it's, it's brokenness, and we've got to let Christ heal us. Christ came to restore us to the image of God that's been polluted and flawed and broken so adam he gets this promise of a redeemer coming he renames his wife in verse 20 chapter 3 adam names his wife eve because she would become the mother of all the living she's going to give birth without a man's help somebody is some woman named mary is going to give birth 
And it's her seed, not his. In that promise of 315 is the virgin birth of Mary's womb, bringing the deliverer that's going to be the head crusher into the world. And who knew? Who knew who would be the deliverer? There's been many deliverers like a Moses or a Deborah, but the ultimate was Jesus. And so Adam, in faith, says, we're not dead. God's going to redeem us. Names are Eve. Kim's, Pastor Kim's favorite woman in the Bible. She was with a group of young leaders, and they said, which woman would you want to be in the Bible? And some are saying Sarah, and some are saying Mary, and Mary Magdalene, and some are saying De And Kim goes, I'd like to be Eve. They all looked at her because Eve's got a bad rap. Eve's your mother, all of us. She's the mother of all living. If you take a Me 23, if it had any real science to it, it'd take you back. They can't. They'd take you back to, I'm related to Eve. I'm related to Adam. They're the only two parents. You can go anywhere you want, down any road you want to go down, but you're going to live by the word of God? They're your parents. And so he, he names her Eve, but then listen to what God does. Every word in this verse is crucial and critical. I take a whole chapter unpacking in, in my ugly priest, uh, or half the chapter on just this one verse. God says in verse 21, this is all, all the rest of that was introduction. This is the message. Oh, no, I'm not going to make it to lunch. You'll make it. Verse 21. I can't golf as at 12. Who cares? All right, verse 21. The Lord God, this is Jesus now. This is Christ before Christmas. He's standing there with them. May. He didn't go, let there be garments. That's how most commentators see it. Or somehow the angels did it. He doesn't delegate this. He doesn't give it to Adam to do. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit. When Kim was in Burundi, last time we were there in Africa, she preached to a group of women, almost 100 women, and, and in their culture, very legalistic culture, church-wise, if you had a baby out of wedlock or you are a single mom been divorced, no man in the church is going to be encouraged to date you or to marry you. You're unclean. You're unclean. That's sad. Kim preached this story. Because what most people believe is that when it says Adam, God clothed them, that he took some dirty robe or animal skin like a caveman, ooh, ooh, me make skin for you, and threw it on her. Literally, some of the theological geniuses that people have followed, like John Calvin, the founder of Calvinism. He's got a lot of good things to say, but he misses it here because John Calvin says that God was giving them these filthy garments to remind them, these animal skins, to remind them of how dirty and shameful they were. So every day they could get up and look at those skins and be reminded, you're a bad person. You sin." You did wrong. God is angry at you. That's the view some churches present of God, especially with Eve, as though she's worse than the man. Let me help you here. 
The word where it says the Lord God made, it means to be handmade, manufactured. You look at the label in the back of the robe, and it said made by Jesus, handmade. Jesus doesn't make junk. Jesus makes good stuff. Everything he made, he stood back and goes, "Woo, that's good. That's real good. I do the best work. That's not pride. It's just true. You think somebody's better than God as a creator? He made, how did he get the animal skins to make them? Somebody's got to die. Again, he didn't delegate that to an angel. He picked up a knife. He came over as the shepherd to his sheep, told him he loved him. He's sorry. And gutted him. Slit his throat. Bled him all over the ground. Blood on his robe. This is Jesus before the cross. This is Jesus experiencing. Can you feel it? He knows that what it cost to make those robes is nothing compared to what it's going to cost to make our robes by him as the Lamb of God being gutted on the cross so that we can be clothed. When it says he's made, he handmade it. You know what's interesting? The word animal skins or garments is translated in many other places in the Old Testament never as an animal skin. It's the same word that's used that Jacob made his son Joseph a coat of many colors. Animal skin for Eve. Many colors for Joseph. Same word. Translators brought in their own bias. It's also used for the ornate robes of a high priest. God didn't make some slum garment. He made something that displayed his mercy. So that when Eve walked down the runway, she had a big M on the back that said mercy. Where did you get that, Eve? My father made it for me. What did you do to deserve it? I failed utterly, completely, disobeyed. I broke his heart. But he's a redeemer. I've learned this. I never knew what redemption was. It's never needed. I didn't know what forgiveness was. But I know it now. I know God in a way that we never knew him in the garden. We know him now as a forgiver of a redeemer. And that poor sheep had to die that my nakedness would be clothed and I let down the fig leaves and I, I'm, I'm just chilling in the robes of righteousness that he made for me. These are ornate robes. Then it doesn't say that he flung it like in Burundi. Kim brought up one of those single moms, already had shame on her. She said, here, put this on, cover your shame. She threw some old towel on her. And then she said to the ladies who she'd been teaching this on grace, she said, do you think God did that to his daughter Eve? And they all went, no. He, she said, you better believe it. This is what he did. She came down off the stage. She took off her beautiful, she had this silky looking, beautiful um, robe, what do you call it, a, a, a covering. And she took it off. She wraps it around this young girl. She kisses her holds her, tells her that she loves her, representing the Father, representing Jesus. That's his daughter. 
Yeah, she failed. She needed redemption. She needed a sacrifice. She needed the promise of 315 that's coming, but she needed something now as an intermediate clothing. Listen to me, folks. This is the gospel. The gospel isn't cover over your sins and wish you'd never done them and hide from God. The gospel is come to Jesus. He knows everything. He loves you. He's died to provide for you what's called the garments of salvation in the Bible. So you don't have to feel naked, shame. You don't have to feel threatened, bullied by your past. You stand with your head up. Eve didn't walk around. Look, Every day she got up and looked at that robe. That robe said, you're loved. That robe said, you're forgiven. That robe said, you belong to God. That robe said, you've been restored to the Father that made you. That robe is a display of mercy, not a shame blanket of condemnation. Tear that, tear it off. I could say bad words. Because I've seen too many people just slump down wearing that nasty robe of reminder of failure and thinking that's humility. That's not humility. That's unbelief. The truth, that's deception. That's what the, the enemy wants you to believe about yourself. The enemy wants to remind you of your shame, remind you of your past, remind you of your failures, remind you of how bad you are, and then add to it, you think God could like that? He may tolerate you, but he don't like you. No, when he got done clothing his daughter, hugging her, I love you, Eve. I love you, Adam. I forgive you. That's the gospel. That's the God that came at Christmas. That's, that's who, what was Jesus doing before the manger? He was killing sheep, making garments, wrapping them around his children. Handmade by Jesus. Now we wear his righteousness that says, Pierced hands made on the cross. He was the Lamb of God. When he killed those lambs and got that blood on him, he knew that's what's coming for him. He's going to fulfill what the Lamb never could. He's going to give a garment that will never grow old, never go away. He's a good, good father. Amen? Let's pray together. Just take a moment and just, it's, a, it's not a hard question to answer. Uh, it's a simple yes or no. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not saying are you perfect? Do you have every question answered? I'm just saying, have you come to Jesus and asked him to be your Lord and Savior and to forgive your sins? If you've not done that online or here in the house, take a moment right now, a life-changing moment. Don't hide from him any longer. He calls you. He doesn't scream at you and demand you. He invites you to come to him. Jesus said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. Jesus offers us his free salvation. So what do I do, Jamie? I, I got, got so many problems, hang-ups. Ha you start with yes of a surrender to Jesus. Jesus, I surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. 
Just something of that from your words, your heart. Many of you have done that, celebrated. But many of you are not walking in your inheritance. You're still wearing the robes of ruin, the, the, the foul garments of reminders of how bad you've been, not how good he is. God wants to give you some garments today that you stand in that are, remind you every day how good God is. We know how bad we are. What we need to learn is how good he is. And his goodness is what wraps us in his mercy.